Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Podcast Horseman. Back in the 20s, we reviewed a very famous Welcome indeed to Podcast Horseman, the Bojack Horseman podcast, a spoiler-free episode-by-episode audio review podcast of the critically acclaimed Netflix series, Bojack Horseman. I'm a socially distanced Michael Hamflip. And I'm a socially distanced Adam Nicholas. And as always, Michael, you can call us the front of the plane because we are all business to begin with. You can find Podcast Horseman on Twitter and Instagram at Podcast Horseman. Be sure to give us a follow. Be sure to send us all your feedback and maybe just talk to us about your favourite things to do with the show or perhaps you'd like to follow one of your hosts you can find me at it's adam nicholas or you can find michael hamflet at michael hamflet and as adam nicholas says you can listen along with the podcast at podcast horseman on twitter through acast you can subscribe on acast you can follow along on spotify you can subscribe on apple Podcasts, and we'd really love you to do that and if you are an apple podcast user listen here or what you spend as itunes you can leave us a five star review uh, if you do leave us a five star review with a few words in there that'd be really lovely they can be nasty if they want we don't care it still gets us up the charts every podcast you've ever listened to has said this uh, it gets us found it gets us appearing on the searches it helps the algorithm it helps more people like us talk themselves horse about the talking horse and if you do leave us one of them five star reviews you might be the latest inductee into our hollywood talk of fame we've got another one of them coming later on in the show yes we do and michael before we get started how are you doing today are you all right uh, how are you <laughs> i'm all right <laughs> I'm yeah, okay. I think, I think that's pretty much it. Shall we do yeah, the synopsis? Let's die. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it's very early in the podcast, and like I'll let my sort of bitterness with the world around me come out in the form of this review rather than chasing people off in the first couple of minutes. Excellent. Well, there's an endorsement for you. You can tattoo on your arm. Speaking of endorsements, <laughs> here's the synopsis for this week's episode. Season 2, Episode 4, After the Party. Princess Carolyn, Bojack, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter learn some important lessons about love in the wake of a surprise birthday party. Ooh, this sounds intriguing, doesn't it? It certainly does. Now, normally we would start this podcast with some classic Bojack, but it's going to be a little bit different this episode. This is a story very kindly by the Bojack Horseman creators split into three very clear stories, kind of all dealing with the same narrative, dealing with the same same themes. But we're going to go through this chronologically because it is indeed after the party. We drop straight into Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter on Diane's birthday, coming back from what she is basically referring to as her dream birthday. They've been to an exhibition today. Uh, it's the exact kind of like Diane type of thing. 
thing. Uh, she asks Mr. Peter Butch, says, you weren't too bored by women on the wall at an exploration of gender and text and media. Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holtz are in conversation with Helen Moorsworth. Mr. Peter uh, loving good dog that he is, replies, are you kidding? I loved women on the wall and exploration in gender and text and media featuring Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holtz are in conversation with Helen Moorsworth. He has listened, he has paid attention, he has remembered, and there's something incredibly sweet about that. He has given her, effectively, the perfect day. Or so we think. She says, <laughs> says quite literally as they get out of the car, I don't want anything else. And he's saying, are you sure? Are you sure? She's like, I don't want nothing else. At which point, surprise! It's a house full of all of Diane's friends, as arranged lovingly by Mr. Peanut Butter, after she has made it perfectly clear that she couldn't have wanted anything less. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter does not read her reaction or the room by saying, she's speechless, we got her good. She looks incredibly stressed. We hit the credits straight away from that, which is normally a sign that things are gonna move forward. But in this case, it's a chilling move forward. There is the typical bell toll with the text of two hours later. It's always a death sentence for whatever this cutaway gag is. And in this case, it's the death of a good time because Diane is screaming in Mr. Peanut Butter's face, he's dead, I told you he's dead. Why don't you ever listen to me? He's dead, God damn it. Diane storms away from Mr. Peanut Butter and the party in every sense is over. Hilarious stuff this. Once again, Mr. Peanut Butter, a very good boy, completely misreading it. He's got it. He's done the perfect birthday. And then he ends up spoiling it because he's just too enthusiastic. It's his enthusiasm. There is an element which we'll touch on later on between them two of selfishness mixed with thoughtlessness, dressed up as thoughtfulness. Mm. It's something that he believes he's doing for the best, but he's not really giving it much thought beyond the very blinding obvious of arranging such an occasion because he just believes it'll work. As you say, I think it's a brilliant lived in moment for like anyone that's been in like an extremely long term relationship or just feels like they know themselves and knows their partner mm. and then gets sort of a, a surprise that goes awry. The row is never about the thing. It's always yeah. about something else masquerading as the thing. Um, as well, just it was. It struck me, you asked at the start of this podcast how I was doing, it struck me how even in the awkward shadow of this row, God, I would love to be at a house party. <laughs> you, watch, <laughs> you watch a bunch of animated characters of various different breeds, let alone humanity, and I just thought, well... In spite of the row, they're having an all right time. Um, the characters do not after this row, of course. Everybody uh, leaves out of the crushing, debilitating awkwardness of it. Somehow the silence is felt through the screen as you're watching it. We see Bojack leaving with Wanda. Uh, Princess Carolyn drags Todd out as they come up with a elongated, the pair of them come up with the elongated excuses to have to get the hell out of there. And what that does for the episode is it splits into three very distinct stories over the course of the evening. We've got like the two, the three couples paired off here in a separate twos. We've got Todd and Princess Carolyn, we've got Bojack and Wanda, and we've got uh, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter. So as we say, rather than going with Bojack here, we'll go with um, Princess Carolyn and Todd. They leave the party together because Princess Carolyn has offered to give Todd a lift home. Seems simple enough, but we've got half an hour of television to fill, so let's have some fun with those two characters. Uh, Princess Carolyn rather cynically gives uh, Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter three months as they're in the car, which Todd, ever the optimist, thinks, ah, oh, it's just a fight, you know, there's nothing There's nothing they can't get past, not least if it just turns out, as we learn here, it was a fight over whether or not Tony Curtis was dead or not. It really was nothing as serious as it might have sounded when we heard Diane screaming those words. Um, and then they stop dead in their tracks because they very nearly hit a mother and a child and at a crossing. But it's not just any child. The child's face flashes up in the lights of Princess Carolyn's car, and it is the face, Nicholas, of Vincent Adultman. Da, da, da. Bum, bum, bum. Just as we believe that finally Princess Carolyn is going to clock 
what has been going on this whole time, with Todd even asking, Vincent Adultman, what are you saying, Princess Carolyn? She then says, it's all become clear. Vincent has a secret family. That kid was his son. That lady was his wife. <laughs> and everybody's just, still goddamn thick. And just when you thought they couldn't get any thicker, that's when it all really goes awry once again. And Princess Carolyn, arguably one of the smartest people in this TV show, continues to be one of the stupidest when it comes to Vincent Adultman. It is a theme that they'll explore a lot in this particular section of the episode. But obviously the whole the whole gag here, as it always has been really with Vincent Adultman, is that you can't see what's exactly in front of your face if you don't want to see it. She's been able to give that, that marriage three months out of the party that they've left. But the bright lights are on the face of her, and I use this word quite literally, boyfriend. The bright yeah. lights are there, like peering down on him like Hollywood spotlights, and she can't see the truth of the situation. Uh, we cut back to uh, Princess Carolyn's. She's uh, bollocking Vincent in a voicemail because she believes she's seen his wife and child, and she wants answers for this. Uh, in her words, I don't know who you are. It's like you're three different people. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> This show is so good. Uh, but uh, Vincent turns up. There's a knock at the door. Princess Carolyn suddenly reveals that he can be quite aggressive, quite possessive, quite jealous. So insists that Todd, who is just having a, a casual drink at the flat, needs to go and hide in her car in case this gets ugly between her and this child. Todd dives out the window to go and hide in the car. But she opens the door to the little boy. Uh, his name is Kevin. He, uh, he takes Princess Carolyn's story and just claims it suddenly as his own. He can't believe he's been given a free pass. Nice nice to meet you, Kevin. Where is your daddy? He's uh, parking the car. I have to pee. And before she can tell him where the toilet is, he goes straight through and finds it himself. <laughs> Princess Carolyn's first interaction with Kevin, your thoughts? Well, technically, not our first interaction with Kevin, is it? But... <laughs> I guess for the purposes of this story, the first time she gets the real Kevin. Uh, fascinating, this. Absolutely fascinating. And if you're watching this, you kind of hope we're going to get this moment of a big reveal. But we're not getting it, are we? We're getting somehow, despite all the facts are there, as you say, completely highlighted by her literal car lights. <laughs> we still haven't... They still haven't let us have that. They still haven't peeled that away. And again, this is just why this show is so great, because it just... This is so ridiculous. This is a character we have been led to believe is so intelligent in so many different ways. And she's just so, so blind to everything to do with Vincent and Kevin in this scenario, I guess. And Kevin, indeed. And, and whoever. We need, to, we, need to, we need to talk about Kevin, Michael. That's what we need to do. <laughs> we need to talk about Kevin. And this episode won't go without mention of the two other people in that long jacket <laughs> that also have to be part of the pantomime farce that we're going to see play out. Who must, but... They must be jacked at this point, by the way, those two. <laughs> Doing some heavy lifting, not least of this plot. But back to that presently, because we go to Todd's own adventure within an adventure. He's gone to relax and hide in Princess Carolyn's car. He finds her herb because has his ashes and puts them straight away because he thinks he's read them as herbs. So he goes to smell them. Uh, that urn goes back to under the footwell of the seat. Um, he starts killing time with a Siri type app. It's a Siri or an Alexa type thing, the little human voice on the phone. Uh, he, <laughs> he asks the question, how many ounces are in a barrel? And then has no further questions about the world. <laughs> so instead, having found out how many ounces are in a barrel, asks, do you have any questions? And the phone replies, I do, Todd. What is love? <laughs> so Todd 
with a single Googleable question has had everything he needs in the world satisfied by this phone. And in response, this phone has asked the unanswerable of this wise old owl in a human's body. I love, I love that Todd has been given an opportunity to ask any questions in the world that he wants. And the only question he can come up with is that very specific <laughs> ounces in a barrel, which we'll get to later on, Michael. Okay. That's, mm. I, like, I, I like that as a teaser. I like mm. here, as we've identified now, there is a pattern. Everybody, and now apparently everything, adores Todd. But yeah. with that adoration comes immense pressure that he is completely ill-equipped to handle, whether or not it's people falling in love with his rock opera, whether it's people are thinking Disneyland are the greatest thing since Disneyland, and now whether it's a phone <laughs> that needs him to explain an emotion that she's only just recently been programmed to feel. It has fallen on Todd to do that job. But we will get back to Todd shortly because we are back to the Chaplin-esque farce taking place in Princess Carolyn's apartment. Vincent knocks at the door... Uh, and says he's divorced from Kevin's mother. And she asks, straight-faced, to a hastily-dressed Vincent Adultman, who has obviously escaped out the window from her toilet, are there any other secrets I should know about? And he has his moment, and this was the gap. And after an incredibly <sighs> after an incredibly pregnant pause, and it's not a pregnant bump, it's the second child in the middle of the jacket, he just replies, Nope! Nope! <laughs> <laughs> it's a it. huge, it's a huge beat, this, as well. Like, yeah... We've given at least three beats at this point where the whole truth could have come out and it still hasn't to the point where we're dealing with some sort of incredibly ridiculous comedy film from the 90s now, which is probably <laughs> quite fitting. Uh, it's like there's a there's a weekend at Bernie's level of fast to it. Only the corpse in this case is the her relationship. It's not it's not the person she's carrying around. It's, it's the her burden. Intellect. <laughs> it's a brain and the burden of her romance. Mm. Um. So yeah, but again, we're we're in a cut in between the daft story going on in PCs and the daft story going on in PCs car with Todd. So we're back to Todd, who haven't explained to the phone about love. The phone then asks, "Are we in love?" And then we hear the voice, "No, Todd's phone." We are in love. And that voice is coming from Princess Carolyn's work phone, who is making a desperate play for his phone. At which point, and this, I don't oh. know, I don't know how this was as gross, right, as Bojack necking on on a film set. But the yeah. phone's request, Todd. <laughs> Todd, make us kiss. Make us make kiss, Todd. Kiss. Todd, again, as if, like, again, a callback to the time when Bojack and Sarah Lynn are effectively having sex on his lap. He's required, with a grimace, like, splashed across his face, to rub two phones together while they make robot kissing noises. <laughs> I'm nervous watching this. <laughs> I mean, how do you even respond to that, Michael? Modernity has failed us. Is, is that is how you respond to this? Like... Just when you thought that Princess Carolyn was going to have the stupidest narrative of this episode, Todd, Todd just turns to the camera and basically says, hold my beer, because it's not <laughs> done. This is, it's so good, though, because even as stupid as this is, there's a wonderful like bit of her-esque narrative, the film, her, like in this, where it's like, what is the relationship between us and our phones now? And... I know it's stupid. That's a, it's it's a, it's a reach to a certain degree, but that's kind of what that's happening into, yeah. And trust it to be Todd to have the most woke sound and storyline in this whole episode. <laughs> All from ounces in a barrel. All from that. 
and then and then to be completely like any sort of goodwill it gets is completely shattered. <laughs> sat in the back of a car, pushing two phone screens off each other. <laughs> Just when you think you've got all the answers about the show, two phones change the questions. <laughs> so we are back as this as this cavorting, this virtual dogging is going on. We go back. To, <laughs> we go back. We go back to a cat, don't we? We go back to uh, Princess Carolyn uh, dealing dealing with the uh, with both um, Kevin and Vincent Adultman in this episode in a play on that double date skit that Bojack Horseman itself has used with Todd in prison, where he's yep. trying to court both um, both Indeed. gangs at the time. It's that thing we've seen a million times where somebody's two tables, they've got to be in two destinations, they're going back and forth. In this case, it's Vincent Adultman and Kevin. I mean, it's Kevin both times. I don't know why I'm saying this. It's Kevin yeah. both times. Either in the Vincent Adultman jacket, which is sat stationary, propped up with a bowling ball and the various other compartments of Vincent's body and two children hiding under a coat or Kevin himself. So we're just given these moments of absurd farce where she goes to the kitchen to get Kevin a glass of milk and comes back and he's Vincent Adultman sat on the sofa and she asks where Kevin's gone. Oh, he's gone back to the bathroom. Can you get me a so-and-so? Then when she goes back into the kitchen, she comes back. It's Kevin stood on the floor waiting for the glass of milk that he asked for and he's put a bowling ball on the head of the Vincent Adultman body that he's just very hastily slipped out of. There is one that was my absolute favourite here. This is all slapstick. It's all, it's for anybody listening that maybe hasn't watched or is listening in the head because we don't spoil please go back and watch this for the slapstick scenes because our review just wouldn't do justice to the, the absurd physical comedy here but she's ignoring the blind bloody obvious on purpose it has to be as daft and as broad as it is because we have to reach the point where Princess Carolyn is refusing to look and we get that in the form of her of them just saying turn around for me and she twirls and just assumes that Vincent must want to check out a figure or something like that. It's not. It's so he can slip in and out with the Mac jacket that he's been wearing since they started dating. If there was if there was an intellectual way of trying to distract her, it would be too good for the story yeah. they're trying to tell. It would be too obvious for what they're trying to tell. And as we've already learned, she's got a complete blind spot of this anyway, so they can get away with murder. And I think they've basically sat in that writer's room and said, what's the stupidest thing? we can do <laughs> what is the stupidest thing we can do and get away with based on the criteria we've already provided and the fact that princess carolyn literally says that's so funny i still haven't seen you and kevin in the same place <laughs> <laughs> these guys have taken all the clever tropes completely flipped them around and just pushed them to the limits where we're all totally accepting of the fact that even though she's furious he asks her to do a twill, and she's just like, oh, okay then, okay. Princess Carolyn, one of the strongest female characters in this show, gets completely wooed by a man asking her, can you just do a quick twill for me so I can look at your figure, please? It's the power of her denial yeah. charging on the scene, isn't it? I tell you what, it's so good that it's, and we've, we've said this before with Bojack, and I'm sure producers of other shows won't care, horsing around adjacent shows, no less, should see this and think, well, there's no justification for us to exist because yeah. we've been found out and we've been exposed to the nth degree. And anyone that ever watches this, and look, to all the listeners listening to this and us ourselves over this call, we all know that we're a cut above because we all love Bojack Horseman. But it's incredibly hard after this to go back and watch a show that is trying to do this earnestly mm. and not hold it in contempt because I think that's what this does. It's, deli it's it, 
it's basically we mentioned this in the season one recap, which you can go and find on Spotify if you really would mm. like to. In there, we talked about how it was a bold move for them to say this isn't good enough, and we're going to write it better, and we're going to raise the bar, and we're going to stick to that every week, and we're going to call out the BS that we see on a regular basis, whether mm. whether it's through sitcoms or just films, television shows of any genre. We're going to kind of we're going to deliberately shine a spotlight on those and highlight them for the lazy, hacky rubbish stuff that they actually are but they've done it in a way here where we're sitting praising them because they've actually managed to come up with something so clever and again it just goes to show you how good the people who make this show actually are it just it, it's a reminder to me as well that like once they've done it as this gag they can't rely on it as a plot point that's mm-hmm. it they're ruling now ever being able to fall back on this nobody can ever again we talk about this writer's room in our head it's almost as if you're adding one more thing to the rule the rule book yeah. just to cross out. Well, we can never yeah. do that because we've ripped the piss out of it. We know we're better than it. We're holding ourselves to a standard. And it's really, it's to be admired. Um, as is the existential crisis that Todd now faces as we cut back to the car, where after the kiss has subsided, we learn that if Todd takes the update on his phone, it will no longer be programmed to feel love because it turns out it was a bug in the operating system that he took. But which Todd obviously declines doing. But then the phone itself decides that the only reason love exists is to feel pain and asks Todd to take the update, (laughs) effectively forcing him to put a bullet in a relationship that only began between two robots 10 minutes ago. That he was forced to bring together in the first place. This is absolutely insane. Um, it's and yeah, it's so elegant because and I have to tie this into where we're going with the end of the Princess Carolyn thing. Todd is taking is is obviously dwelling over whether or not to take this update and kill this ludicrous relationship between two phones. And then we cut back to Princess Carolyn, who, without admitting that Vincent Dalton is a child, she is still blind to that element of it. She is not blind to the fact that this does not make for good communication, this does not make for good harmony in a relationship. And we are learning, very sadly, that them they are breaking up. She says one last time, this is crazy, what are we doing? And then still fails to acknowledge that it's three boys in a trench coat. Mm-hmm. But she does say, I'm wanting to believe something, it doesn't make it real. Uh, which again takes us back to Todd, who has taken the update and killed love. <laughs> Such a brief inquiry into online relationships. It's so, it's, it's so passing, like how quickly this starts, how quickly it ends obviously has to fit into that one of three as we're going to find out the three narratives throughout this episode. But how on earth that so perfectly complements what's going on in the house with Princess Carolyn, which is brief in its own, completely different way, yeah. is just fascinating. It's uh, There is one fine, grossly articulate bit of dialogue to round this up as she explains to Todd that indeed she has broken up. And that is that she needs to stop kidding herself just to finally get this one over the line. Just <laughs> incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, and yeah, so, you know, pour one out for Princess Carolyn and Vincent Adultman. We hardly knew ye, but we loved absolutely every second of it. And genuinely, this is how absurd this show is and yet how brilliant it is. You can't help but mourn the death of that relationship because what a time it was. Listen, man, three great guys. <laughs> <laughs> Three great guys, I'm going to miss them. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, Princess Carolyn missed them the entire relationship. So we go. (laughs) We go back to the party, and at this point, obviously, it reveals the 
the the concept of this episode, which is that we're going to have the, the split journeys of the exiting friends in this, and we move on to Bojack and Wonder. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're talking about how they wanted to stay for the party, how great it would have been, how Paul McCartney was going to burst out of a cake. Uh, it turned out. <laughs> This is interesting. It turns out in the car that it was Wanda that asked the question if Tony Curtis was alive, and that was how it started, which, not for the first time, Wanda has inadvertently made things pretty difficult for Diane. Um, she earnestly, she's been in a coma for 30 years. She doesn't know who's alive, who's dead. I don't know who's shat. I don't know who's not. She's a, she a reservoir owl. Um, but she, this is three or four times now where who we were starting to receive as the love of Bojack's life, Diane, has had her like evening, her day, her night, whatever, inadvertently turned upside down by, at this point, Bojack's passing fancy. There's a quite interesting correlation between the two, well, what we believe to be the two women in his life outside of Princess Carolyn. They're having a conversation in the car about this row, and Bojack goes looking for it. He says, well, that's what happens when two people live together. Uh... Which wonder astutely refusing to take that nonsense replies with, well, that's a weird thing to say to your girlfriend who's just moved in. Um, because she knows what he's doing. She's not having it. Uh, a little argument is teased. And why would it not be? Because he's earned that one. He's a real piece of work sometimes. Uh, to break the tension. And I don't want to butcher this because she certainly does. Wanda tells a very long, elaborate joke, which I must say is animated beautifully. It's an animation within an animation. And there's a sort of... Uh, I want to say a Christmas cracker slash gift card quality to the to the animation of this, which is good because she tells what is effectively quite a rubbish joke that fails to have a punchline about an expert gardener who could just on site alone see how much uh, mulch he would need for doing his gardening. And anyway, he's doing it. He's ordered so many bags of mulch. And the punchline is he's ordered too much mulch and he goes to the, the 101 uh, highway and throws a bag of mulch off the side of it. She is pissing herself at the quality of this joke because a man has thrown mulch off the side. Bojack Horseman uh, acknowledges, as he tends to do in these situations, that that went absolutely nowhere and it wasn't even a joke, which kind of re-triggers the fight they're having, even though it's now about something else. It's just about them failing to communicate. But it's stopped dead by Bojack hitting a deer. Again, a car speeding into something, broadcasting it in daylight. In this case, it's a deer. It's an anthropomorphic deer who is wearing camouflage tracksuit hence why bojack couldn't see him walking oh. across the road like a pedestrian the deer limps into the woods uh, <laughs> off to presumably bleed out but wander immediately gets out of the car bojack eventually follows to go and find him what do you make of the row wonders attempt to deal with it and also confront it at the same time i thought it was really interesting the way they started this one in the car the same way, so obviously Bojack has left the party, same as Princess Carolyn and Todd did. This is like another another version of that drive away, isn't it? This is a different version of that. Um, but they both end up doing similar things because they're both caught up in the drama that's left after the party, as the title suggests. Mm -hmm. And Bojack, in classic Bojack fashion, as you will, although I know we didn't start that way, like diving headfirst into this argument because he's... Nat natural fear of being happy and anxieties begin to play and maybe even deep down somewhere because it's Diane he's like well if it can't work for Diane who's like the best yeah. then what how's it going to work for me and he starts questioning everything himself and then we inevitably get the argument that leads to where we are it's kind of the first um acknowledgement of the panic that we saw flashed across his face as Disneyland burnt to the ground and he made the offer. Um, it's it's like we knew this was going to come up and it was going to come up awfully quickly because it's just, as you say, it's classic Bojack. And as well, the fact that it's paired with 
hitting a deer, which is kind of reckless, even though the deer was camouflaged. But um, so his like his need to needle and instigate is then very quickly followed up by his cowardice by not mm. going with wander into the woods, just mm. being happy to let the deer die and drive on, and she would do that. We're very clearly seeing somebody comfortable and honest with herself and somebody that is absolutely not and we're seeing like we're already asking questions like well is this an opposite attract thing or is this something doomed like and it's bojack that has triggered us to wonder if this next happy thing in his life is doomed um it's quite nice we see wanda use her owl powers effectively to find the deer in the woods she's running through she can fly she can see in the night as she reminds bojack because i'm an owl like so she would have <laughs> she would have these skills um but yeah, the deer is, is basically uh, found a, a seat in the woods where to die. He's in a camo track, so he doesn't want to go to hospital because he's not got insurance. Uh, he's been before and he can't afford it. Um, but again, in an allegory for something far bigger than a, a dying deer, Wanda reassures him that even though he's been hurt before, he should do what feels right. Mm -hmm. Are you listening, Bojack Horseman? Bojack, moved by this speech from Wanda, agrees to pay his medical bill at the hospital. Uh, when we get to the hospital... Bojack is sat while we learn that Wanda is actually with the deer, with the patient. Bojack is sat staring at the card that Charlotte gave him at Herb's mm. funeral, thinking long and hard into what might be or what could have been or what we don't know. But Wanda returns and he immediately puts that away. And, you know, he we know about it, but she doesn't. And we move on as if everything's fine. Um, says that the deer will be fine, which is a nice happy ending for him. And then does another extremely elaborate, badly told joke uh, involving another couple that are having a fight. Um, the couple in this case have had an argument because the girlfriend has been in touch with an ex-boyfriend. Um, they have a, a big row, the girlfriend storms off, and she lives, Nicholas, in a flat in a block of apartments uh, above, a, uh, sorry, underneath a highway. The boyfriend goes round to the house, uh, and then all of a sudden he spots in his rear mirror uh, a thumping sort of, I don't know what he would describe, like a silhouette of something, at which point Bojack is absolutely horrified because he thinks, has he killed the ex-boyfriend? And then Wanda reveals, no, it's the bag of mulch. And then Bojack reveals, oh, God damn, that is really funny. And she says, yes, sometimes it's just worth the wait. And Wanda's really brilliant. She's a wise old owl. We know this much. Mm. Uh, Bojack, by not giving her the benefit of the doubt with the first part of this elaborate joke, has maybe not given a benefit doubt with the first part of their relationship. And she, through several very clear signs, both with the deer, both with how she's cared for this deer in the hospital, and now with this gag, is trying to tell him, sit still, shut up, and just let this be good. Mm. I, I'm good at this. Follow my lead, <laughs> I think. It's, 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 he's, um, I love what they did with this, because, mm. they, again, like the Princess Carolyn stuff before and the Todd stuff, they've managed to tap into something here where, we see like Bojack hitting this deer is not just a coincidence. Yes, it the, the whole thing connects their two stories. Wanda and Bojack have this moment together where they sort out a problem and it helps them find the solution to their problem. Or does it? Because it also gives us this beautiful tee-up where we've just come off the back. Bojack, who's in a state himself where he's just come off the back of a funeral of a very good friend, like he's probably in a bit of a weird place. And it's no coincidence that he's staring at that card from Charlotte having, after having hit the deer because that memory has essentially come and smashed right into him as he's as he's thinking, should I run away from this relationship that I'm in with Wanda? He literally hits a deer on the road as this happens. <laughs> like, you know, I know a lot of these anecdotal stories that we get split into in this episode are quite ridiculous. <laughs> a deer in a camo tracksuit is hilarious, but obviously there's a bigger thing going on here. 
and nothing's ever by accident, as we always Never say. Ever. So that's that's certainly in play. And just what I really like as well, I love the um, I love the bum steer that they gave us with Wanda. The first part of that joke allows us for, and this is this is the shortest of the three plots, but for all of the two or three minutes that we're in this story, it allows us to believe and side with Bojack that Wanda's pat is a bit rubbish. She yeah. notes that oh well, the people at their work really liked it, and what we know about her is that she's the boss. So you kind of get this idea yeah. that a lot of sycophants in the studio have been laughing at a crap joke. And then it turns out, no, we're the mugs. Yet again, we are the idiots. And we are, again, it asks us to like wear Bojack as our, as yeah. our, as yeah. our avatar. Because one minute you're thinking, oh, yeah, like that was rubbish. Like, has Bojack got a point here? No, of course she's not because she does. And she's going to hit you with it at the end. And you're going to be flawed. And I think like they, they use that device brilliantly here. They've done it so many other episodes on various occasions with different topics as well where they mm -hmm. wanted you to experience the thing where they can go you see you did the thing and now you're an idiot because you did that they've yeah. done this perfectly yeah they've put us in bojack's shoes we're all going well that's a terrible joke maybe she's been in a coma too long maybe mm. she should go back in a coma who knows <laughs> <laughs> like we get this idea that it's just off but then of course the delivery is perfect it drops in nicely literally the bag of malts drops in nicely <laughs> and we get a payoff to it a very clever joke that Borjak himself could probably never have written in a million years. It's always women as well. Yeah. We are we are the stupid men. Yeah. Shouldn't have the powers, the control, and the indignation that we do. And it's always women that are always right, that are always rewarded by the story because this program focuses on that throughout and it looks after its female characters because it's about time more shows did. Mm. We go back to the dreaded party. Everyone has left. Uh, Diane is washing the dishes, absolutely livid, enraged at Mr. Peter, but a questioner over Tony Curtis's death. Um, but it's quite potent, actually. She just asks him, which is sort of playing to what we were just discussing about, like the lack of trust or empathy for females. She just earnestly asks him why wouldn't he just believe her? He quite obnoxiously says, oh, sorry, I've got all the access to all the information in the world on my phone. But he's just obviously clearly missing the point. He's feeling mm -hmm. angry that he's, in his words, been humiliated in front of all of his friends, which is just not what this is about, Mr. Peanut Butter. Come on, you're a good boy normally. Uh, Peanut Butter asks for some credit for the party. Again, this is the wrong time and place for that. She's, he's just not figuring this out, that she's never wanted this party to begin with. Uh, he makes it worse, and this certainly at the moment in a locked-down marriage feels quite lived in. He doubles down <laughs> on his sarcastic apologies, uh, and she very rightfully says it was all about him. Uh, Diane, in an effort to get away from Mr. Peanut Butter, stumbles into a room that has been filled entirely with balls because she told him that she dreamed of a ballroom as a little girl, and he has instead turned it into a soft play ball pit. Uh He's missed that point as well. And it's a look, it's a really great visual gag. But where we're at at the moment is Mr. Peanut Butter getting everything wrong and not really like swallowing his pride over it. It's, it's an ugly scene, but it's true and it's real. Yeah, there's something really like we've seen this a million times with Mr. Peanut Butter before where he goes down a road that he thinks is right because it's the thing he would want rather than. And he assumes that's what everybody would want because this is Hollywood and this is it's big and it's grandiose and these gestures are it's it's he's watched too many films, hasn't he? He's trying to be yeah. this too perfect person, like to the point where he's got the perfect birthday party nailed down. He's already won. He's won the toaster. The toaster yeah. is his, and he's <laughs> trying to play for the speedboat at the end of the round, and he doesn't even need to because he's already done a good. He's already done a good job. Yes, he has. Yes, he has. Um, 
But I just think him coming up with the ball, the ball room or the ball pit joke is just, <laughs> he's a, you can't forget in all of this, he's a dog, right? He's a stupid, thick dog. Like, he's, a li- he's, he's just so literal sometimes because he, <laughs> he doesn't know how else to be. And he just goes through, it goes through his internal mind of like, imagine if you try to give the dog a choice of what dinner to make itself. It's going <laughs> to pick the worst thing every time because it's going to go for what it wants. Mr. Peanut Butter can only really go off what he knows. And despite being a very good listener, still managed to get it wrong. It's This ballroom has popped his six tits off, but it's not for, it's not for his wife. It's all about him. Um, yeah. It's... It's strange here because this is the first moment when she realises why there is a room full of balls, that it's just a misunderstanding, that she starts to mellow slightly because a misunderstanding is very different from a a cynical failure to listen and a failure to communicate, which is maybe how the party came to be. And they move into another room, which he has lovingly converted into an exact replica of Starbucks with uh, a Diane based Starbucks logo on the wall in the background. Um, There's a really great line here that, again, feels incredibly true and hit me where it hurts the most, um, which is not down there. It's in my heart because Diane, (laughs) Diane, before she even needs to correct him, Mr. Peanut Butter says, no, I know Starbucks isn't your favourite. You prefer that independent place, but Starbucks is just a lot more convenient. And, oh, God, I love their plug sockets and their Wi-Fi. And I felt that. (laughs) I felt that. Some of the episodes for this podcast were prepared in a Starbucks, I think, were they? Because the indie coffee shop shut too early. I felt like, <laughs> I felt attacked and rightfully so by that great line. But she obviously really loves this. He makes a great joke about the beer of coffee for Darren. Just continues to shout that in case we didn't get that joke. Um, and then they move to the swimming pool full of jelly, which where we get that glorious uh, aerial shot of the two of them. I would say floating, but they're not even moving. They're just sat atop Mr. Peanut Butter's bone-shaped pool that has been full with lime jelly it's a really gorgeous sight actually i think it's they find themselves sinking into it which i feel like is to mirror the hollywood tar but we know in this case it's a sweet version of it which is indeed kind of their marriage they have a very hollywood union but it's an incredibly sweet one of it they're kind of reconciling but oh my god this is so awkward because if you've ever been in a row with your loved one and you think it's coming to an end and then either you hear that phrase or you can hear your brain saying that phrase and it comes out of your mouth It's the worst goddamn moment because you're about to make your night last two hours longer. And that's what happens here. He He says, oh, we only have so many days together. And then she turns. Oh, you don't want me to go to Cordovia. He's hit. She's absolutely nailed it. He admits that he's right. And he doesn't want to go and go off to a big war-torn country with an adventurous millionaire. He's got all sorts of issues about why that, like all the things that go wrong there. Uh, But then before he can even finish his... Kind of justifiable, kind of toxic, jealous male, half and half rant about this trip that she wants to take. She blurts out, I'm not happy. And that, Mm. as it would, brings everything again to a sad stop. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This, I think this is all summarized really, really well by the fact that they're in a massive, massive bone-shaped swimming pool full of jello. <laughs> because as ridiculous as that is, this is like the physical manifestation of like too much is a bad thing. Like, and the and the sinking of this jello. Well, and as you say, it's horrible because this is such a well scripted like discussion between these two. Because Diane is almost completely wound down. She sort of says to him, "I don't really want to be mad at you. I am still mad at you, but I don't want to be." And they're like, "It's okay. It's cool." And then he utters the phrase that lights the match. Because I don't know if you know, Michael. It only takes one match. To burn a thousand trees, <laughs> and unfortunately, Mister Peanut Butter has lit the one match that has burned his entire evening even further than it already was. Um, but ultimately, eventually, after all of this sort of contrived nature, we get to the heart of the matter: is that mm. that you can see where his earnest feelings for this come from, because it's you know it's a dangerous thing he wa- she wants to go and do, but he's walking that tightrope between. I love my wife and also I want her to be able to go and do what she wants to do. But how do we make those two roads meet? And it's perhaps becoming more apparent that maybe that's going to be more difficult than he initially first thought. It's, it's just, it's great, but it's sad because it's real. Um, The exhausting evening they've had for Diane to get to, I'm not happy is, is exactly where it should be. It's exactly where all television and films should treat arguments because that never comes out as the first line and it doesn't often come out before several other things that have come out yeah. when first. So the the tensions are always, you know, everything's more flared up than it needs to be before the one line that matters the most finally comes out. You know, if only he'd just not arranged the party and settled for that performance and cocktails earlier in the day, things would have been absolutely perfect. But Diane in a line that I personally found extremely relatable until I started a podcast with you. I wake up, I'm 35, and I feel like I have no purpose. Uh, (laughs) And she made the point to uh, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter that this trip, um, from a professional and personal perspective, at least gave her a reason, and oh, this line stung, to get out of bed. And of course, what she's hitting there is the fact that she is going to a film studio, probably well paid every day, to stop people tripping over to, uh, over a cable, or in this case, now hold up a sign telling people to stop tripping up a cable, because when she didn't, somebody tripped on a goddamn cable. You wouldn't want to get out of bed either. Your empathy, as always, is with Diane, because she's the best. Um, she doesn't want... Uh, this is quite painful as well. She doesn't want to be a couple set in a never-changing routine. And to cut a long story short, Mr. Peanut Butter does. They're finally being honest with each other, but that honesty 
is bringing home to roost some pretty cutting truths. And I say cutting in the way that it is starting to sever this relationship. This is, they have that moment, don't they, where we realise that these are conversations they should have had before they got married um, mm. and that maybe don't come out until you realise the intensity that you're putting yourself under just by being in the marriage. But he, it's, again, done in a wonderful way. They do it as in, he goes into this really solemn description of how his days, mm. and he's just describing the day of a dog. Dog. He's this a dog. Stupid, he's a dog. So he just describes exactly what a dog would do, even to the point where he says, you know, sometimes I like p- pretend to dig a little hole and then take a little <laughs> nap over there on the settee. I've watched my dog do that before as a kid. <laughs> I know I know exactly what he's talking about, and yet they've somehow managed to find poetry in the daft day of a normal dog in a dog day afternoon. Michael, they've just Very found nice. they've found what this wonderful story is to put alongside Diane's huge ambitions. And then again, we've hit another crossroads here because there's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with people having ambition and people being happy to do like the minimal and just live their life. But again, we're at a crossroads where can they figure out a way where those two complement each other? And we don't really know at this point. We don't get an answer. And good too, I think. Um, I've really appreciated at the end of, uh, as you kind of pointed out, how he describes with no real sadness the day that he has his day as a dog. And I like how that ends. The most excited he gets is when he he sees the lights of her car, which is, again, the callback to the previous two vehicles, as we pointed out, to be able to tie all three of those stories together. That's the moment of realisation for all three couples. Um, And they kind of, I suppose the best way to call this is like an uneasy compromise They've not really like laid out in black and white where the relationship is, other than they're both nice people mm. trying their hardest. And in a way, as much as that is obviously fragile within an episode of a television show, it also feels like how a lot of people need to live a lot of their lives, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a friendship, whether it be in a job. There is a certain element of compromise or fragility to most human relationships and most comings together that we all face. And that's so much better than a cinematic ending or some drama that feels more from a scripted comedy than from something that Bojack Horseman always tries to be, which is real. And I think it's very important for me to say, as I talk about this reality and this almost, the the tragedy and the simplicity of this reality, as they walk off back to the ballroom together, Paul McCartney bursts out of a cake. The Paul McCartney, as the credits tell us, bursts out of a cake, asks where the party is, and then slips off scene to bring this show to the most surreal and wonderful of endings. You are not allowed to linger on your own personal thoughts on this very personal scene because the actual Paul McCartney is in a cake. Like, what a long game this is for the cake gag. (laughs) Right, he mentions it at the very beginning about how it's going to happen, and you just think, ah, oh, it's just a stupid thing, isn't it? And you forget, and you forget, and you forget. They got the literal, literally Paul McCartney <laughs> to at the end of this episode, just do a bit, do a little bit about coming out of a birthday cake. Like that's how good this show is. Mm-hmm. Paul McCartney, even if it's Paul McCartney, they don't care. Paul McCartney can get. 30 seconds at the end of the episode thank you very much <laughs> because there's bigger fish to fry in this in this goddamn tv show but a wonderful episode slower mm. paced than the previous ones that we've probably had this season but necessary i think because we wanted yeah. to explore three narratives that we kind of needed to unravel a little bit in this one yes and now that you've done all your 
lovely rambling on about the various ins and outs of this episode, I'm going to do a bit of rambling of my own okay. in a segment that we, of course, like to call Horsing Around, where we go back through the episode and try to find all of the hidden meanings that are in scenes, the small details you might have missed, or indeed the Easter eggs that have been hidden within the scenes. So let's go back to uh, Mr. Peanut Butter's car to start off with, of course. You've already mentioned, and I, I'm not going to try and redo the name because I've only got <laughs> so much of it written down here that I didn't end up writing it all down. Nicholas, um, you're telling me you didn't write down Women on the Wall, an explanation of gender in text and media by Barbara Kruger and Jenny Holster in conversation with Helen Molesworth. There he is. No, Michael, I, I would like to tell you that, <laughs> and I'm not going to go and try and repeat that, for you, because I don't have any notes up, but you do, so well done. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. For your preparedness. Instead, I'm going to point you to the hilariously on-the-nose balloon that Diane got from the public library. <laughs> <laughs> it just says public library on a balloon, which I just thought was the stupidest thing ever, because whoever in the world has a... It's such a... That's a stupid gag, and it works. Who ever got a balloon at the public library? Nobody, Michael, that's who. The only library that gives out balloons is the Hollywood Public Library. The Hollywood Public Library, <laughs> just, to get, just to get people in. Uh, also, Michael, we get this delightful beginning of a, a long play three, uh, rule of three gag, where Diane says she just wants to, she's had a busy day and have enjoyed herself. She doesn't want this party that she doesn't know is coming on the other end of the door, but she says she just wants to tuck in the bed and, and listen to a Prairie Home Companion which will make an appearance throughout this episode. I might just jump ahead because it does get mentioned three times. But for anybody who doesn't know, A Prairie Home Companion is a weekly radio variety show created and hosted by Garrison Keeler, I'm going to say. You can tell me if I got that one wrong, America. <laughs> um, as I'm just reading this from the Wikipedia page. So I assume for any of our American listeners, this is their version of something like the Archers, maybe, in the UK. Okay. Like okay. a radio radio drama sort of thing, like mm -hmm. comedy drama. I don't know. A comedy music variety. Someone's having a good time. But as we'll touch on later on, I think it's only Diane because everybody else hates this show. <laughs> more on that in a second. Uh, as we go into Mr. Peanut Butter's house, um, we get another one of our famous faulty signs, Michael, as they burst into the house to find a birthday sign that says, Happy birthday, Diane. And use a pretty font. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Peanut Butter's look with the signs does not seem to be disappearing anytime soon. And there's also just notably in Peanut Butter's house, there's a little um, statue or figurine on the wall, like on the shelf, that is another nod to Keith Harron. Of course, we've seen his work in Bojack's house. It's one of the, if you've ever seen a Keith Harron painting, you'll know what I'm talking about. It's one of the dog figurettes that you see dancing around in some of his paintings. He's got mm -hmm. one of those on his shelf because michael i don't know if you know this but mr peanut butter is a dog um it's a, it's a little bit of a that's a, i know that's a hidden meaning there but you'll, a, you might get that one it's a deep cut. <laughs> it's a deep cut we go in a princess caroline's car and she's driving around with todd now we notice as they're driving they literally just leave the party in the car together we see two street signs mm. uh, as they drive past one of them is called la-di-dar lane or la-di-dar <laughs> lane street i think it is which is <laughs> ridiculous uh, but then we also get another sign for, and I pronounce this as Boogie or Bougie Boulevard. So if anyone who doesn't know what a bougie is or who's unfamiliar with it, it is indeed a thin, flexible surgical instrument for exploring or dilating a passage of the body, Michael. And as they're in Beverly Hills, I just wondered if perhaps this could be some sort of commentary on cosmetic surgery, maybe, or mm. perhaps 
as it says there, on a, uh, performing on a passage, I wonder if maybe it just means everyone's full of in Beverly Hills. <laughs> Who knows? Me, it was me thinking you were going to do that or something like on Broken Hearts because of the thing <laughs> this episode, but you tapped into the real dead black and heart of Hollywood. This, this is it's Bojack Horseman and this is Hollywood. What did you expect? Um, there's a brilliant, tiny, quite literally throwaway gag as Todd is still holding his plate from the party with little <laughs> finger bits on. Middle of conversation, he just throws it away in the back of Princess Carolyn's car, to which she doesn't respond at all, which is so <laughs> stupid, and yet it's so wonderful. Tony Curtis, Michael, let's get to the bottom of this, shall we? Mm. Because throughout this whole episode, we have basically been hit with the question, is Tony Curtis still alive or not? Um, well, for those, first of all, who don't know who Tony Curtis I'm, is... I'm absolutely on the edge of my seat here. On the edge of my <laughs> seat. Um, he was an American film actor whose career spanned six decades, but who achieved the height of his popularity in the 50s and early 60s. Legend. Acted, he acted in more than 100 films in roles covering a wide range of genres. So he was quite a big deal, Michael. But mm. as you probably have guessed, I have been using the past tense. He was a big deal. Unfortunately, Tony Curtis is dead. He died one day after my 20th birthday. In uh, 2010, September 29th, poor guy has not made it out the other end. So, unfortunately, we now know the answer to that. And I like that he was hanging around for you to get to 20, though. He's, he's a good, he's a good egg. Good egg up, Tony. Yeah. Yes to you, Tony, my friend, who will never know that five years later, he was all the centre of complete controversy <laughs> in the season of Bojack Horseman. Um, just a couple of tiny tidbits here. Uh, when he meant, when Tony Curtis is mentioned, Todd says he loves his cereal. It's great. <laughs> in reference to Tony the Tiger, of course, from Frosty's. Uh, Vincent Adultman is walking on the street with his mom, and we've both mentioned this. He's got a great T-shirt on, which just it really says, does. It just says the word cool, yeah. and it's just a picture of a dinosaur. <laughs> it's really which good. Just Phil Chambers would love that T-shirt. He, he really would. Fan of what culture in general. It's um, so stupid. It is so stupid that t-shirt, but it does look like a child's t-shirt in Bojack Horseman. I can't explain it beyond that. It's it's a, it? it is funny. It's not uh, quite as ridiculous though as Todd saying that lots of people look like other people, and that in fact some people often think he looks like, among other things, Octavia Spencer, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> who, for anybody who knows who Octavia Spencer is. She and Todd are not alike in any no. way, shape, or form. He also says he he also looks like the Prince of Cordovia, or he also looks like that guy from the Gutenbergenards, which is of course him. <laughs> stupid Todd, stupid, stupid Todd. Uh, and also another little tidbit from Princess Carolyn's car: her license plate is Y O L nine L V S, which for anybody who's paying attention is Y'all Nine Lives, which also could be interpreted, interpreted as. You only live nine lives, Michael. And why is that? Because she's a person. Um, <laughs> moving over to Princess Carolyn's house, uh, just a few little tidbits I noticed here. For, for some reason, I don't know why we've never brought this up, but I just felt like we should mention it. The apartments are called Tabbywood. Why have we never mentioned that before? That's really good. That's like, really good. It's yeah. so simple, but yeah. that is there. And it's taken us just two seasons nearly to get to that, but never mind. <laughs> now, the books on the shelves in her house. Let's do this, because we've been meaning to do this for a while. There's a ton of them, and they're all great. Um, so you may remember she's a cat, Michael. That's one thing you probably need to know about Princess Carolyn. All the books on her shelf are as follows, little and twists on modern popular books. We have How to Kill a Mockingbird. 
We have Fifty Shades of Russian Blue. <laughs> we have Little Kitties. Oh, nice. Of course, it's not nice. Little Women, I assume. Uh, we have the going straight in the face. We have Of Mice and Men, which is unchanged. <laughs> for I, bet that's, I bet that's her real Fifty Shades. It is her real Fifty Shades. What two things does she love more? Right next to the book, The Great Catsby. <laughs> And to follow up, the last three we have are The Old Manx and the Sea. Oh, man. We then also have The Cat of Monte Cristo. <laughs> <laughs> and this one was possibly my favourite because of how stupid it is. Uh, just best wet food recipes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't listen. Um, when you have a bookshelf to look at a Burdock Horseman, consider the important public service you were provided because that list has never made you sound more like an essential worker in these times where those are needed. Yeah, well, there you go. That's why I'm here, because you won't ever spot those, but I have the time on my hands to do this. I'd like to tell you, I'd like to tell you I was getting paid for this, but <laughs> anyway, that's also in her house, you will see some wonderful film posters, Michael, all about the visual gags in here. We get three posters. One is a cat on a hot tin roof. Very good. Wonderful stuff there. We also get when Tabby met Snappy, <laughs> <laughs> which is, of course, a play on when Harry met Sally. And we've got a cat and a turtle who are in love, apparently. And then, incredibly, we just get <laughs> we just get the poster for the film Junior, which is <laughs> the film where Arnold Schwarzenegger gets pregnant, Danny DeVito is the doctor, and Emma Thompson is Schwarzenegger's partner. <laughs> Incredibly, the, the joke, yeah, it's just the poster. It's the same poster, just flipped horizontally, I think, ultimately. Great. I love that gag, because it's the best rule of three they've done in the episode, I think. Is there? Time. Is there in that... Right. Is there a, a gag there that that film is stupid enough to have existed in Hollywood? Like, to, to be a Hollywood production. Like, it's a box of snacks level of a film. Yeah. Because Arnold Schwarzenegger's pregnant. <laughs> it's well, whatever it is, it's wonderful. And it probably, I think it was so good it didn't need any altar, and it's probably what happened there. Um, other little tidbits from my house: she just happens to have a full sort of a cat toy playground. You know what I'm talking about? Cats get them assault course thing that the cats have with a hanging ball and loads of tubes to run through in a house. And on the wall is also another lovely bit of art, as we mentioned throughout this uh, show. This one is the, um, as I labelled it, cat art on wall, <laughs> which <laughs> uh, actually is a is a painting by um, Lewis Wayne. Or oh, maybe I might not be pronouncing the same correctly there, but the, the painting is called Flower Eyes Cat, which is quite literally exactly what you'll see. But you'll notice it; it's the cat, blue cat with big flower eyes. Well, fairly self-explanatory, really, isn't it? Um, we go back to Princess Carolyn's car, and we're sort of darting between the two because obviously this is where Todd's narrative's coming in. Inside there, we get um, a little snippet of a magazine that she has in the back seat of her car called Clausmopolitan Magazine, Michael. <laughs> you can only imagine what is in that. Um, back in her house, I just thought it was great that she used the line when Vincent turned up, well, 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 look what the me dragged in. Very nice, that is good. <laughs> very, very good, nice and subtle. Um, but then we snap forward into Bojack's car. He's now yeah. on the way. And I haven't really got much here, just other than the fact to nod that the dear man was wearing a camo tracksuit, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> just incredible, because the irony here is that while he's wearing a camo tracksuit, we're on a road, Michael. Yeah. 
So it shouldn't matter. If anything, that should make them stand out more. <laughs> so, this idea that like when anybody, anybody has the horrible misfortune of hitting a deer, it's like, oh, I couldn't see it. Why can you not in Bojack? Because he's camouflaged. It's an actual person in a goddamn camouflage tracksuit on a main road. <laughs> but not quite as funny, Michael, is Wanda getting absolutely cracked up at the thought that the deer who has no insurance is, of course, a deer in arrears. And then she does this. <laughs> terrible Ricky Gervais-esque accent where she's like, I'm a deer in her ears, mate. (laughs) She just starts laughing. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But we go to the emergency room from there and there's a bunch of things on the wall here and indeed just in the waiting room in general. We see a fish there with a t-shirt on that just says, fish happens because it does. Very true. And also a nod to Princess Carolyn's refusal to swear quite a lot and she uses the word fish instead. Maybe a little nod there. Um, there's also a lion who's waiting there. Now, Michael, you're going to have to remind me, remind me here. Is it called a splinter when it's in your finger? Or, if you're from up our end of the world, is it a spelk? I like splinter, but when I moved up here, uh, spelk. Spelk has grown on me like they've often gone in me. So I've kind of like become a spelk guy in my later years. Indeed. Well, for everyone who's going, what on earth is a spelk? Google it. You'll find it's probably from the Geordie Dictionary of when you get a bit of wood or whatever stuck in your finger, a la a splinter. Um, on the posters on the walls that are there, there's a great one that just says, because of course, Michael, we're in an emergency room, it says, know your moles. So you've got to check, you know, make sure you're all right. But instead of obviously the moles on your skin, are you, of course, mole animals. We see adult, which is a, a mole with glasses. Uh, <laughs> we see adolescent, which is a teenage mole. We see a star-nosed star-nosed in brackets benign mole, which is just a star-nosed mole. Um, and then we see one that just says, malignant, see physician. <laughs> <laughs> because, of course, Bojack can't go five seconds without inverting its own jokes completely on its head. Uh, there's also in the waiting room um, a leech person who is attached to the arm of a trucker. So <laughs> the two of them are waiting in the waiting room. And the trucker, incredibly, has got a hat on that says trucks. <laughs> and, he's reading a, and he's reading a magazine, Michael, which is even more int- intelligently named Trucker Trucks Magazine. <laughs> <laughs> How? Hang on, you've gone and made a pretty big assumption there that that guy's a trucker. I know, I know. I don't know how to get to that end game, but what are you going to do? Eh? It's almost like they've got something against these guys or something. <laughs> I don't know. Let's move on. Another poster, though, that says, practice safe sex. And then it says, no collar, no coitus. And it's just two dogs and a flea in bed, and it says, stop the spread of fleas. <laughs> Very good. With, with the brilliantly named website, please stop fleas.gov. .gov. Back to Mr. Peanut Butter's house. Um, not the TV show, of course, his actual house. Um, there's a, the great gag when Diane's going on the house and getting rid of all the birthday stuff. She's popping the balloons, and every time she pops a balloon, Mr. Peanut Butter goes, <laughs> <laughs> And kind of gets a fright as a dog. Whoever anybody's ever had dogs and burst a balloon near one will know exactly why he's so terrified. Um, Diane says, well, she's in the middle of a row. And doesn't this always seem to happen when you get in the, in the heat of a row? She gets a, a, a typical phrase and wrong of an old adage where she says, well, you know what they say about assuming makes an ass out of you and Ming. <laughs> <laughs> to which Mr. Peanut Butter obviously stupidly replies, who's Ming? <laughs> As we go through the house and see all the things, the stupid things that peanut butter has brought, there's one thing that stood out to me incredibly. There's like a mime who's doing stuff in the background, but the mime is a panda 
Michael, the black and white panda who's maiming stuff. Does that make it a panda mime? Very nice. I like I'm that. I'm not sure, lot. but it, given yes. everything that we've seen in this show, there's been a lot of panda mime going on, and it Very feels good. like that kind of puts the exclamation point on that. Of course, the ball pit, Michael, didn't just get used for any old reason. It was got because Mr. Peanut Butter wanted to get some T-shirts made that said, I had a ball at Diane's 35th birthday and underlying ball, I don't know why this is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, so just to divert for a second, sorry, that's such a good joke on its own terms because it keeps this runner going that you hear the message over the phone and it gets printed directly. But that reflects the night they're having. They yeah. don't know, like, he doesn't know why this is so hard. He's assumed that he's made this perfect for her. Like, yeah, really, like, really astute writing. But the answer is literally on the T-shirt because he has he's not doesn't do it because she wants it. He wants to get the T-shirts made that are allegedly for her, but actually they're really just for him as a keepsake. It's like he's I ate a giant burrito, a burrito the size of my head T-shirt. <laughs> and finally, my last leg of this is going to be a long one. So as you may recall, Michael, as you mentioned, Mr. Peanut Butter has an entire room themed around Starbucks for Diane. And there's a lot to uncover here on the boards in the background, which I'm just going to go through now. You can all go to sleep five minutes if you want. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what it is? This took me a really long time. So if you really like this podcast, you'll bloody listen to it and you'll enjoy (laughs) it. On the boards in the background, there's a bunch of stuff. We'll start from right to left this time rather than left to right. Because on the coffee board that we see, we have a bunch of things (laughs) that are included within your coffee. You can get some pepper beans, Michael. Mm-hmm. You can get some Java dangles if you really want them. <laughs> you can get some pumpkin rubbed liquado. <laughs> you can get some cinnamon whip or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. That's so true. It's so what true. is that thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can get some spiced witch nuts. Yeah. Or if you really want two bonuses that are at the bottom, you can get the additional six dollar option of put more coffee in there (laughs) (laughs) or the favorite at the bottom there that just says replace coffee with cream (laughs) because everybody likes the coffee in their own special way which moves us nicely onto the smoothie board that we have Mm -hmm. and the options here are a little bit more ridiculous you can get in your smoothie you can get some jazz grains you can get some cranberry bland swirls if you really want them (laughs) You can also get every berry. (laughs) (laughs) Or, if you really want, you can get some slaughtered fruit. Very good. Or maybe, Michael, you'd like some strawberry cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Or possibly some non-fat curds. Or maybe, if you really want something special, you can get a double startled macchiato. (laughs) (laughs) Which is whatever you want it to be. Uh, there's a Frappuccino board as well, which had some of the most ridiculous ones on that made me laugh out loud. Uh, possibly the top one is my favourite, which is just Frappe Flaps. <laughs> <laughs> because, because of course, there's also a uh, Fluidicino or Fluidicino, which is just fluid. There's, um, <laughs> there's the word, so imagine if you got the word Frappe, Apple and Pleasure. And just merge them into one. It's a frappleisure. A frappleisure. <laughs> frappleisure, which is wonderful. Or you can for, get your, for her pleasure. For her pleasure. <laughs> or if you really want your latte in a different way, Michael, you can mm. get lat- latte in a bowl. 
<laughs> which I know we all would love deep down. And finally, on the espresso board, and honestly, I promise you, it's all over after this. <laughs> uh, on the espresso board, the four things you can get with that are go-go beans, if you really want them. You can get half caramel, half espresso. You can get some skinny sugar sauce. <laughs> or if you just want more sugary kind of treats, you can get the candy bar blend just to finish it all off there. And honestly, that took me about the same amount of time it did to do the rest of the episode. So enjoy that. I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good brew. I really am. But like coffee culture does need the piss taken out of it more than it gets. It and does. That's class. That is absolutely uh, brilliant. And I should point out that out of just pure politeness, I decided not to dive into all of the prices of these things. But if you watch that episode again, you'll see just where the state of coffee prices are in these coffee <laughs> shops, even in a Starbucks. Anyway, that's all of my horsing around things. So that's everything I could possibly uncover within the episode like that. But, Michael, mm-hmm. it may just be time for one last thing. And then I swear to God, I'll shut up about this podcast forever which I'm sure my neighbours downstairs would like because I can feel like they've knocked on my floor about <laughs> at this point. We'll be with you in a second, I promise. Um, Michael, would you like to go first? Yeah, it's just a quick one, and you touched upon it, actually. Um, the This is, in many ways, uh, an episode that's a little bit of a breath of fresh air. The formatting of it means that you're never with any couple or any plot long enough to like really be like deep, deeply entrenched, as you often are in BoJack Horseman. And yet, whilst it maintains this very broad comedic tone and these very short burst minimalist tales of all the main characters, the consequences are huge, absolutely huge. We watch a couple break up. We watch what felt to me at least like the first row of a couple that should be going through the first flushes of love. And we watch a married couple stare down the barrel of their marriage hitting more than a snag, uh, a very big, potentially fatal uh, accident coming forthcoming. And I just thought how it juggled those like opposing themes was absolutely brilliant. You were never far away. I mean, listen to those coffees that you just described. You were never far away <laughs> from a, a huge gag or a big laugh or something so absurdly stupid, such as the entire Vincent Adultment plot. And yet the themes are massive. The characters coming away from this episode have experienced big life changes but they've done it in a way that felt like three individual micro-packaged episodes of horsing around. And it's just, it's just exquisite how they, how sometimes you watch these and you're like, how dare you, how dare you make something so well? And how dare you put such thought into the craft of that? I just really like that. And you know what you've touched on there, which has just made me realize something like we've taken three micro narratives, right? What we've done here, is they, so not we, we're just the observer, they've taken three micro-narratives, they have stood them on each other's shoulders, they've put a trench coat around the Michael, <laughs> and they've given us an episode of Bojack Horseman disguised as three small episodes in a trench coat. I don't know how they've managed to do that and how I've never noticed that, but right. that is absolutely incredible. They can note the time code of this when RBW comes on our season finale because he's <laughs> he's going to want to hear this because I think we're going to blow his mind with that one. That is, 
That's it. That's it. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast, Horseman. We're retiring. We're retiring, undefeated. So that is the that's, end. That's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> that is superb. Yeah. I'm, I'm furious that I've come up with that, really, because that should have been my one last thing now. <laughs> and it's not, by there's actually a little bit more of just a tiny tidbit, but I think it's still relevant nonetheless, because this was 2015, this was. So we had a lot going on in 2015. And this the moment I'm del- delving back to is Todd and the phones and all this sort of narrative, that just, you know, the, kind of the deeper narrative in there, despite how ridiculous this whole thing is. But in amongst that, Michael, the question that Todd asks is how many ounces are in a barrel, doesn't he? He asks the Matt mm. Siri-esque uh, onboard phone. Now, can you think of anybody else, Michael, who back in the day would have benefited from knowing how many ounces you could fit in a barrel who may or may not be connected to Todd slash Ooh. Aaron Paul? Oh, very good. I like that. Because, like that of course, much. for anybody who is a Breaking Bad fan out there, you will know that at a certain point in the show, of course, we reach the point where they have just become so good at selling drugs that the quantities that they do are having to be shipped in much bigger containers, etc., etc. It just feels like a perfect little nod this to his character as Jesse Pinkman yeah. and the rise throughout. And of course, we get incredible scenes, not just barrels of um, drugs, but barrels of money in the end. I think uh, Walt ends up burying the bar- barrels of his own money, doesn't he? That sort of thing. They um, kill. They they uh, kill people. They've like and, the, the acid barrels. They drop the. Right. Yeah. So there's so mm. many different layers to go with that one. I just thought it was very relevant that that was question coming from Todd, and I have a feeling that that is not just a coincidence because this is Bojack Horseman, and Bojack Horseman is better than the show that you would like. <laughs> Absolutely, it is. Absolutely too true. Right. Well, now that we've done that, let me just quickly plug the podcast because if you haven't heard enough from us already. If you like what you're listening to, or indeed if you don't, and you're just bored and need something to do with your thumbs, well, go to social media, go to Twitter or Instagram. Give Podcast Horseman a follow, at Podcast Horseman. We need all of your help. I'm not even going to lie about that. We just like having numbers. <laughs> and it's nice to see people are interested and always nice to interact with the fans of both Podcast Horseman and, of course, Bojack Horseman. Or if you just like to follow either of your hosts, you can follow myself, at It's Adam Nicholas, or you can follow Michael Hamflit. At Michael Hamflit. And indeed, on that Twitter feed, at Podcast Horseman, you can follow along with the podcast. There'll be a new episode every Friday uploaded through Acast. You can, of course, follow along on Acast, on the Acast app. You can uh, listen on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, and we would love you to do that. It gets us up in the rankings. It gets more people to see us. It gets more people talking themselves horse about a talking horse. And it is, of course, through Apple Podcasts. We believe this can be done elsewhere, but I know it's the easiest through Apple that you can leave us a five-star review just to recap if you want to leave us a five-star review with any words in that box they can be nasty they can be nice you will get read out you will get a name check on this because you will be inducted into the hollywood talk of fame which is exactly what's happened for noms 14 thank you noms 14 for leaving us a review they've said big yes from a total newbie totally new to bojack horseman and find this podcast is such a deep dive into the mechanics and subtle and sometimes not so subtle qualities of the show perfect for anyone who likes laughing a lot the little thumbs up emoji there. Thank you very much, Noms14. You will be getting a star on the Hollywood Talk of Fame, winging its way to you via our Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and for anybody else who wants a star just like that, again, leave us a five-star review and you'll get read out too. Wonderful stuff. And you know what? I can't remember when you started saying that people could send us nasty messages, but you know what it is? I'm going to keep an eye on you because if this turns into the Hollywood Talk of Fame, then we are going to have to have <laughs> words, mate. We are going to have to have a discussion about this. But as so far, so good. People seem to be doing the nice words, which is <laughs> lovely to read. 
I really, I realised I shouldn't have done this while the entire world has a little <laughs> bit more time on the hands to do things like leave reviews and exactly. be quite angry with things. <laughs> oh, God, exactly. what, a, what a mess. Well, don't worry, because we can distract them all for a little second longer with the synopsis for next week's episode, Michael. And it is, of course, season two, episode five. The episode is called Chickens, Michael. Um, and the synopsis <laughs> for this episode is as follows, and we'll get to why we're laughing in just a second. The synopsis is, Bojack really wants his director, Kelsey, to like him. Todd, Diane, and Kelsey's daughter help a chicken who's on the lam from the police. I cannot express <laughs> accurately enough how funny this episode is for a bunch of different reasons, both of which that your hosts find like irresistible when it comes to completely giving in to Michael chicken for days. Oh my uh, God. I also can't express it, but next week we are going to try. We are going to try. <laughs> please keep listening. Please subscribe because you are going to listen to us struggle. I, I dare say you. the synopsis might be the first 30 seconds of the episode. If anyone wants to watch before next week's all the better because we are going to do objectively a bad job of explaining this beyond our own laps. Absolutely. Genuinely, I know everybody's having a bit of a rough time at the minute. I don't usually give guarantees with this podcast because that would be suicide, but genuinely, I guarantee you next week's episode will be worth it. If you're in a bad mood, you are going to laugh out loud along with us. We can laugh ourselves horse about <laughs> a talking horse, I guess. Anyway, with that said, I've been Adam Nicholas. I've been Michael Hamlet, And this has been Podcast Horseman. 